one of the few comforts of lockdown was the sense that we were all in it together whether we were struggling with work or with homeschooling or with shielding or with wider illness in our family, there's that sense that actually we were in those months a community of suffering. We were all suffering together. We were in it together. That's starting to fray a bit as we start to emerge from lockdown. And it's particularly challenging if you find yourself in a place like Leicester going back into lockdown while everyone around you is not. Our passage today, which I confess in lots and lots of other occasions when I preach through Nehemiah, I have completely ignored this passage. But this passage today is really about that question. Are we all in it together? So what was the issue and why did it matter? Well, Nehemiah talks about there being a great outcry within the Jewish community. The great outcry was from poorer people. Verse 2 talks about day labourers, subsistence farmers, those who worked by the day, who got paid by the day, and therefore who put food on the table day by day. They were used to hard manual labour. They were really, really significant portion of the workforce for the wall. But they have not been paid for days. They're not getting paid to work on the wall. And therefore, there's no food on their tables at home. Their wives, their children are nearing starvation. Verse 3 talks about those who do have property. They have fields. The work is going on towards the end of the summer into the autumn. It's going on during the harvest time. There's talk about famine. So maybe the harvest is meagre and also, you know what, there's nobody to work the fields. So they're also at a point of having to contemplate selling uh, their sons and daughters into slavery. You might think, well, why do they sell their children rather than their land? Well, the land was the key to redeeming the children from slavery. If you have a good harvest, you'll become wealthy. Therefore, you can redeem them from their their debt slavery. If you sell your land you have no way forward from that point. And verse 4 talks about those who seemingly have more property but they are being taxed heavily and they are having to borrow against the value of their fields and borrow against again through debt slavery to be able to pay their taxes. Why does this matter? Well it matters at any time but it matters at this particular moment for this reason. Those profiting from their misfortune are members of their own community. Those people to whom they are selling their children into debt slavery, they're selling them to members of their own community. It's not as it was in Babylon, where you know if, if a Jewish family got into difficulties and, and had to sell their children into debt slavery to the Babylonians, other members of the community rallied around and redeemed them, bought them back. It's not happening here. They are selling their children to their own community. So what sense is this really a community? In what sense is this really a fair, a community where justice is practised? Those profiteering from their misery are their own community. Why does this matter? Well, because people are basically saying, I I'm a day labourer, I can't afford to do this anymore. Particularly not if actually uh, those in my own community will only sell me uh, food and drink at a high price. 
those who are working on the fields, those who own the land are saying the same thing. How can we do this anymore when actually you're making a killing at our expense? You are, you are becoming even richer based on our misfortune. In this moment, the whole project hangs by a thread. Why? Because is there really a community to save? If they are preying on one another like this, is this really a community uh, that fears the Lord? And what's the point of rebuilding a, a wall for a community if the community is so deeply divided as this? The whole project hangs by a thread. The poor are being misused, mistreated and preyed upon by the rich, by the wealthy. There's even a sense when it talks about the enslaving of their daughters, the word that they use is the word Nehemiah uses, the, the, the same word that's used of Esther in the court of Artaxerxes. Uh, she was a courtesan. So there's a sense in which there may be even a sexual dimension to their slavery. This is outrageous. There is no social identification with one another. This is not a community of brothers and sisters. This is a community that isn't one. So in this moment, what is there to save? What's the point of rebuilding the wall to provide a home for a community that is as broken and as much at odds with one another as this community is? That's the great outcry. And when Nehemiah has heard all of these uh, stories, when he has heard their testimony, he is greatly angry, but he ponders, he stops, he weighs things. And then what he does is he confronts uh, the, the wealthy privately initially and basically saying, says, you're breaking the law, you are charging usury, you are adding a disproportionate amount of interest on everything that you are lending people. In other words, you are preying upon their misfortune and it can't continue. And then having warned them and challenged them privately, he gathers the whole community together. It's a large gathering. He gathers as many people who want to be there to be there. And then he charges them publicly in the similar ways. He basically says, where's the fear of God in our community? He also says, you know what? I recognize that I've been doing the same thing, but it's got to stop. He identifies with, with the rich in that moment and says, actually, what we've, we've been doing is wrong. But he gathers the whole community together and then he basically says, what are we going to do? And, and they have no answer. But when he challenges them to not do it anymore, to repay what they've, what they've milked from the poor and, and, and the desperate, at that moment the whole community is once more gathered. It's reconstituted around the fear of God and around the challenge to be brothers and sisters, to be neighbours to one another. But Nehemiah uh, having stopped the work, having stopped the work on the wall to allow this gathering to happen, Nehemiah won't just take warm words. He wants them to swear an oath that they will not do this again. So he gathers the priests, he, he, he does this formally before the whole, whole gathered community. 
and when they have sworn that oath, in a prophetic action, he shakes out his clothes and says, you know, may the Lord deal with us like this if we don't follow through. And at the end, we hear the whole community saying, Amen. They are one community again. They have become one people again because they have dealt with deep-rooted injustice between them. So what does all this mean for us today? I said near the beginning, I've often just leapt over this passage, seeing, not, seeing it as not a significant part of the rebuilding of the wall, and yet delving into it this week, I've realised that actually this moment is critical because it's this moment which is about, well, what kind of a community do we want to be? Are we going to be brothers and sisters together? Are we going to be neighbours? Is there a community in Judah that can inhabit Jerusalem? These moments are critical ones. The whole rebuilding of the wall hangs by a thread in this moment as Nehemiah deals with these matters of injustice and unfairness. It's probably not, strictly speaking, illegal under the Jewish law. That doesn't stop it being monstrously unfair. And that brings me, I think, to my first point in application, which is, has money got too great a hold over us? As I said, they weren't acting illegally, but they were acting unfairly, and they were doing it to get more and more money for themselves and for their families. They were sacrificing um, community uh, oneness. They, they were uh, putting uh, poor brothers and sisters into greater and greater poverty. They were forcing parents to make heart-rending decisions about sending their children into debt slavery and sometimes into really horrible situations. I remember the suggestion of the same word, the courtesan word applied to Esther being applied here. They were doing that because they were wealthy and because they were exploiting that position. Jesus said, uh, wherever our treasure is, there our heart is also. He said, you can't serve both God and money because they, they will war on one another. Money is a spiritual power that wants us body and soul. And we see in this moment in Nehemiah, the corrosion that comes from those whose lives are completely in the grip of money. So where is your treasure? Where is mine? In these challenging times where we have been rocked, many of us, where our security has been challenged, uh, where is our rock? What is our treasure? I think that's the first challenge. What is your treasure? Has money too great a hold over your life, over your giving, over what you are paying for things, over how you are seeing your life, your possessions, everything. Has money got too great a hold on you? Where is your treasure? The second uh, way this passage challenges me is about how we use money and power within the church. Are we using it to build our community? Are we using it to further God's ends? Or sometimes are we being tempted to use it as a lever to get what we want? Maybe to uh, strongly support decisions that we like and maybe to resist others that we don't. 
Uh, I really don't know what anyone gives to Highfield, and I'm glad not to. But sometimes I hear things second or third hand. It might be gossip, and if it is just gossip, please forgive me. But sometimes I hear that someone stopped giving because they didn't like a particular project, like the garden project that we didn't actually say a definite yes to, but I heard some folk had stopped giving because of that. I've heard some people be critical of the number of staff we have and really want us to challenge to work much more through volunteers. And again, it's been suggested to me, second or third or fourth hand, that people have stopped giving because they think the staff team is too large. Forgive me, all of this is hearsay. All of this is second or third or fourth hand. But it does get said. So brothers and sisters, if you're tempted to use money and power as a way of influencing the direction of the church, I have to ask, where is your treasure? I have to ask, is this genuinely, genuinely serving the kingdom of God? I'm sure you'll want to come back at me about that. And if, the, if you do, that's fine. But it's that place of saying, Lord, I surrender to your purposes, that sense of the Gethsemane prayer, and yet not my will but yours. Uh, so often we have been a church with lots of politics, lots of pulling in different directions. We see in Nehemiah 5 the consequence of that kind of thing. Nehemiah feared, one, he didn't have a community, and two, he didn't have a community that would be able to rebuild the wall. Everything hung by a thread in that moment. So let's lay these things before the Lord and seriously ask the Lord, uh, how should I be giving? How should I be serving? And if you're one of those people who think we've had too large a staff team in the past, I really hope that you'll be one of the very first to volunteer because we're going to need volunteers as we rebuild into the future. The third thing that I want to say emerging from this passage is we have to be all in this together. This was one community. Only one community would lead to the rebuilding of the wall and the restoration of, of God's people within Jerusalem. They needed that togetherness, that sense that we are one people pursuing one aim. We live in a very consumerist culture. We see that in all kinds of ways and sometimes we see it in church. We see it when people uh, feel that they only want to worship in one way, whether that's traditional, whether that's really contemporary. We see it in all of the ways in which subtle pressure is placed upon us to go in this direction or that direction, or, or to make our digital offering look like this, or digital offering look like that. We have to be all in this together. We have to say, yes, we are Highfield. We are Highfield in all of our diversity. We are going to embrace the challenge and the exciting invitation of rebuilding our church in this season. And not just for this season, but for a generation to come. There are lots of challenges in that. There are lots of sacrifices and generosity that will be required in that. But the thing that matters the most is for us to say, yes, I am part of this. Yes, I identify with Highfield. I want to be part of making this work for the long term. So I confess, brothers and sisters, I've often jumped over Nehemiah 5 and thought there wasn't much significant happening. 
It's been a really challenging week reading these words and understanding what was really going on and understanding how the whole, whole project was in peril, that it was hanging by a thread. And the challenge that brought them through, the challenge was confronting issues around injustice, issues around money, issues around power, and challenging everyone to stand before God and say, yes, we are in it together. That's my prayer emerging from Nehemiah 5 as we're starting, starting to emerge from lockdown, as we're thinking about our priorities for the rest of this year and next year, that we will come to that place of saying, yes, we are in it together. Thanks for listening.